In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents Donald Trump with a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter, too. That's what I'm so help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm Millie Tamarez. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we're back with Shaniqua McClendon, the political director for Crooked Media. I think the last time we talked was right before the runoffs, which were successful. Here we are. So we were, uh, again, we're back with a split Senate trying to push through the reforms we got so hype about and that Crooked got us all excited about. And uh, now's the time. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to be back. And I knew this already, but like all of this just keeps building on each other. It's so true. Right, right. We always think this is, we just have to win the Senate. Okay, we won the Senate. Here we are. It's like an anime or something. Like (laughs) you think that you defeat, or like a video game. You think you defeated one boss and then there's another one and then they're related. And then the boss from 10 years ago comes back and then their kid comes back. And then it's Jared Kushner. It's a lot. I know, exactly. So just like, I'm curious, how has your life been since January? I mean, you guys were so focused going up to through up to November, and then we're so focused between November 7th and January 5th. Never forget these dates. How has life been for you since then? What are you prioritizing? What has it been like to sort of figure out how to steer Kirkin's political projects forward? Yeah, um, I, I really thought it was going to calm down. I mean, first I thought after November, okay, we can take a break. And then literally control of the Senate uh, hinged on these two races in, in Georgia. And I have to be honest, you know, we put a lot of work into it, but I was really skeptical as to whether or not we could win there. And then we did. And I felt like, man, this is great. And the day <laughs> after the election, you know, all of these psychos stormed the Capitol and it just really started the ball rolling again. And so we see all of these, you know, all these Republicans talking about um, how the election was stolen, but then they've used that to um, talk about voter su- or push voter suppression. And so there hasn't really been a lot of downtime. Uh, the other part of that is like, you know, Crooked was founded after Donald Trump was elected, but now Donald Trump is gone. And we just immediately, you know, we had a lot of success with Vote Save America, but we immediately got to work and we're just like, okay, Trump is gone. Trumpism is not gone. A lot of the things that he kind of made okay in our political system are still here. So how do we expand and kind of rescope our work to make sure we're still really responsive to what's happening? And so that is what we've been focused on for the last three months. Um, and yeah, it will... We'll put it out into the world soon, but that's mostly what we've been spending all of our time on, trying to figure out how do we keep people engaged um, and paying attention to all of this. 
That's yeah. great. Yeah, totally. And our interview with you is timely. So the Senate advanced the For the People Act out of committee yesterday, which is setting it up for a vote on the floor. The committee deadlocked at 9-9 with all Republicans voting against. But as we've discussed, Democrats have a majority in the Senate or they lead the Senate right now. So the Senate rules allow Chuck Schumer to bring it to the floor anyway. So what we're talking about you today mostly is H.R. 1, For the People Act and ending the filibuster. One of my questions for you was, I feel like this has been in the air for a couple of months, especially right when we got into the Senate. We were sort of really amped about ending the filibuster. I feel like it's sort of gone away. And I've been waiting for this. I don't know if it's a fight, but this like real question to explode. Um, where, How far are we, do you think, for dem- from Democrats having to make some real decisions? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely completely agree that it feels like it's slowing down. Um, and I think a lot of that is because Joe Manchin keeps telling us <sighs> what he is and is not going to do. But I I still feel like we're in the middle of this conversation. And so something that happened on Pod Save America when we were interviewing all of the Democratic candidates, the guys asked them, do you support eliminating the filibuster? Because if not, how are you going to um, advance your agenda? And now we're seeing that, um, you know, we apparently didn't just have Republicans that we needed to be concerned about for advancing Um, the democratic agenda. But I still think we're in the middle of this conversation. I think it just feels a little slow because, you know, the American um, rescue plan was passed through reconciliation. And now Joe Biden, um, you know, his administration is putting forth two really good bills, the American Families Plan and the American Jobs Plan. But again, both of those can go through reconciliation. So we're not forcing the issue right now, um, which is why it feels like it's not happening. But behind the scenes, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer and the rest of the Democrats, they know H.R. 1. People are paying attention to it. Uh, people want to see the For the People Act passed. And so they it might not be front and center on the Senate floor, but they definitely know um, that it's happening. And once we get past these bills, it can be passed through reconciliation. There are things like uh, the For the People Act, but also gun reform and police reform um, that you cannot pass now, at least with a filibuster in place. You can't pass if you don't have... Um, 60 votes to do that. And so I think once we get there, we'll be at a point where Democrats who are not on board with eliminating the filibuster are going to have to ask themselves, do they literally just want to sit around for two years and not do anything for the sake of, you know, existing Senate procedure? And if that is a decision they make, they have a lot of people to, to, to kind of be accountable to, you know, a lot of us put a ton of work and energy into getting Democrats um, control of the Senate. And I mean, it's such a small margin. Uh, Vice President Harris, you know, makes up the difference. And I just don't see how those people show up for Democrats in the midterms if all they did was protect the filibuster in the time that they had control. Yeah, I guess there's just so much that you said, you know, so that, I mean, that's why you're the political director. (laughs) So it's, um, but I guess for me, uh, I want to know, well, one, just like how soon into the new administration did you start to sense that the filibuster and voting rights uh, were going to be your next like motivating thing? And then the other, like, just in terms of the the reasons why people keep the filibuster or like are arguing for the filibuster, which I know, you know, has a racist history and stuff, but then seeing like, I just am thinking, seeing where the Republican Party is, how they voted out Liz Cheney, like they're so far away, like, you know, endorsing the fact that this election didn't even, how do you, 
like how can you even reconcile that so you know those are my two very loaded questions of like when did you decide that the filibuster was going to be the thing that's going to get you going for the next few um next campaign and then also what's wrong with joe mansion <laughs> does joe mansion live in the same reality we do yeah um i will okay i'll save joe mansion for a second because it makes it be riled <laughs> up um so we um I, I mean last cycle or i should say last congress uh democrats prioritized the for the people act uh, we had control of the house so they were able to to get it passed there but mitch mcconnell pretty much said i'm not doing anything with that <clears throat> Uh, once it once it got out of the house, so we knew since last year that this would be a priority. Uh, and then you look at everything that happened in 2020. Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Republicans are still trying to make it hard for people to vote by mail or vote at all when we needed to be expanding options so that people could participate. So we saw all of that, which was more writing on the wall. And then the election happened, and Donald Trump and a ton of other people started questioning its validity. And then we saw the insurrection, everything that has come out of that. So we knew that just kind of as far as the narrative, um, I, I don't even want to say narrative, what was actually happening, um, that this was going to be really important. But all the things that Republicans have done have just really kind of, this sounds so political and icky, but streamlined um, the messaging around why the For the People Act is so important. Because all of these bills you see in Georgia, Texas, Arizona, New Hampshire, like around the country that Republicans are trying to push through. If we can pass for the for the People Act, all of those laws become illegal and, you know, they can't stay on the books. Uh, but for right now, like they are there. The, the unfortunate thing is I just think most people like I worked in the Senate, like the filibuster was a big deal to me. But I think for most people, they're like, OK, pass laws. Like, what are you doing? And don't understand that it's, you know, all these things in place. And that doesn't bode well for Democrats who are going to want to keep the House and uh, hopefully pick up some Senate seats next cycle if they have to, you know, it's like just to eliminate the filibuster and pass a progressive agenda. You're going to it's it's nearly impossible to go into a campaign rally or something and have to have a nuanced conversation about the filibuster and people leave saying, oh, I get why they can't, couldn't do anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna happen. And as far as Joe Manchin, I I have this may sound biased. It, of course it's biased. Like I mean <laughs> I don't know any other way to put this, but one thing the thing that frustrates me about him, I think that there are like some Republicans in the House who are just idiots. I, I that you know, point blank. I think Joe mm -hmm. Manchin is not an idiot. I think he knows what he's doing. Um and part of it I think he's like high on power. You know, when has Joe Manchin ever had this much control over the country um, and deciding like what we will and will not do? And something that really frustrates me is if, for instance, the squad in the House came together, you know, we barely, Democrats barely have um, a majority in, in the House and said, we don't like this. You know, if progressives started doing what Joe Manchin was doing, everyone mm -hmm. would be up in arms. But they, have yeah. the same amount of power. You know, Raphael Warnock could say, like, I'm the reason we have control. We're going to do it my way. And people would get very upset that he was, you know, bending to, to moderate. So that in itself just really annoys me. I, I think it's a power play. But Joe Manchin is like an old white guy who, you know, I think he can't see past what makes sense to him. You know, he is so yeah. married to this idea of, Oh, the filibuster, it's sacred. It's here to, I don't know, stop crazy things from happening. 
has he been awake for the past like four years? The yeah. crazy stuff is happening. And I, I just, I don't even know how to make sense of his, um, the way he's rationalizing this, because at the end of the day, we literally have seen Republicans uh, obstruct everything. So I'm not mm -hmm. sure why he thinks now is going to be different. And he keeps saying bipartisanship, bipartisanship, but all he's doing is delivering Republicans exactly what they want. Democrats not doing anything over the next two years until they can get control um, mm -hmm. of, of the Senate again. And so I, I, I can't explain much of what he's doing, but it just feels like he is more interested in having power uh, for the sake of it, which to me is a very Republican thing to do instead of having mm -hmm. power for the sake of progress. Yeah, mm -hmm. what I don't understand about it is that I think that sorting out voting rights will save our democracy as like the main impact. But as a side effect, it will also save Democrats. Mm -hmm. Republicans are cheating. They've been cheating for decades. Mm -hmm. So if Joe Manchin wants to, he's not that old. Like he's, we got some old yeah. ass people in there. He's got, by Senate years, he's like a young gun. Yeah. <laughs> he has plenty of time. But if we keep allowing these state legislators to like gerrymander and do all these things, whether he loses, I mean, his seat is weird. I don't know yeah. how it works. But he, whether he loses a seat, I don't know. But Democrats will not maintain power because the balance is all off. Plus, he's mm -hmm. more powerful. I always think he's more powerful as the 50th vote if you need 50 than the 50th yeah. if you need yeah. 60. Exactly. So I, if I were him and I wanted attention, I would get rid of the filibuster yesterday. Exactly, because now he can actually be the deciding vote on, on things, not just do we end debate or not, you know? Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. 
Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. A lot of my colleagues, when I worked in Senator Hagan's office, went down to West Virginia to help Joe Manchin in 2010. And that just never leaves me because I remember soon after the election, mm. I can't even remember what the vote was, but I just remember everyone screaming like, are you kidding me? We spent all that time in West Virginia and this is what he's doing. And so I have to, mm-hmm. the, the only thing I truly believe is that, like, I don't know what his ideology is other than like, how do I piss people off? You know, how do I stand in the middle of things um, and, and just make people pay attention to me? Because there's no through line with any of this. It's just like, even him not wanting the um, corporate tax rate. Tax credit, yeah. yeah it's, it's too high, yeah. even though it was 35%. I just like, I don't get it. And the thing that pisses me off the most about that is West Virginia is like the third poorest state in the country. Why are you concerned about corporate taxes being too high. It, it just, none of it adds up. And so it's hard to kind of say, this is his line of thinking, because it really just feels like, I like being in charge. I like people paying attention to me, which like, then maybe you should have run for president, but he can't win for yeah. it because, you know, the rest of the country is not going to vote for Joe Manchin. Right. Yeah. Not, not that much charisma. <laughs> Do you think with something like this, because I feel like we also do talk about Kirsten Cinema. do you think that they fall together to this? Do you think that they decide together? Do you think they have an alliance where they decide like, okay, it takes both of us? Or do you think they're both, frankly, just thinking about their own selfish political motivations? Well, so I actually can kind of, okay, even though I just said everything I said, the one thing that, you know, I wouldn't be able to do is win a statewide election in West Virginia. Like, he has figured that out somehow. And right. so even though I don't think there is an ideological like cohesion between everything that he is doing, something about it speaks to the voters there and they like it. Oh, um, man in a nutshell. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> no ideological cohesion, but it appears to be working. But, Girl! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I... I absolutely don't get it because she's in Arizona, a state that is trending, you know, blue. Um, A ton of progressives helped get her elected in 2018. Like, it just doesn't add up. And, you know, what made the difference for her in 2018 was actually more young people and more people of color voting, people who would benefit from the things that she's all of a sudden opposed to, like raising the minimum wage. you know, she wants to raise it to $11, which is less than the minimum wage in Arizona. Like, none of it actually makes sense. Like, I can't even say, oh, well, it doesn't make sense. But when, you know, it appeals to the voters, because, you know, it seems moderate, like, it's just all over the place. Like, I really Mm -hmm. don't get it. And I've been trying to check myself a bit with the critique of Kirsten Cinema, just because she is a woman. And it's like, you know, we don't want to be harder on her than we are on Joe Manchin. Although I think I'm pretty hard on Joe Manchin. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just you just went in on Joe Manchin, and we haven't even talked about Kirsten's clothing yet. And I, for that, I respect you, and I feel like you are a very great feminist, and you are. But like, we haven't even really covered the skirts 
that she wears and the skirt sweater combo from uh, the nice section of clothes. Yeah, and none of it. Yeah. I mean, no, yeah. it literally doesn't add up. And just the uh, the theatrics around her kind of whatever. Outfits. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Outfits. The <laughs> picture she had with the ring that said "fuck off" or something like that. Yeah. And then the little no vote, the little dance she did. That, yeah. I think that infuriated me more than anything because it felt like, oh, I don't care. You can. I analyzed my reaction to that a lot as well. I was like, ooh, I don't know. If this were a Republican, and I, I don't know if I like how, if Republicans were teasing AOC for doing that, then I wouldn't like it. But then I decided in all the context, she should have known better. Yeah. That was a weird Yeah, it's just, all of it was really weird. And I, I think the reason it's hard for me to, yeah, I, I can't get past me not understanding it to like get really Right, And I think the other part of it is I feel like a Democrat could primary her and win. Uh, yeah, Mark Kelly just exactly. won. We're, it's the same voters. Exactly. And he's, you know, so, yeah. He's pretty special. But <laughs> I was I was arguing with my fiance about this the other day, and he was like, it's not that easy for a de-. I was like, Mark Kelly, he was like, are you going to find another a- beloved astronaut? Sure, maybe. But so you were talking about Right, exactly. So we're talking about we've been talking about Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin, but Crooked actually has a database where you can look up yeah. all of your senators' positions on this, and this is tied to the efforts um, in favor of HR one. Correct? Can you tell us about everything that you're doing? I believe it's called HR one, or yes, we're fucked. It is. That is that is the campaign name. Um, but if you go to votesaveamerica.com/slash/for-the-people, we actually so it's just for Democratic senators because we know. Right. Got it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But we have basically taken all of their public statements uh, and used that to guide us as to kind of where we feel like they stand. Some have been very clear. We need to eliminate the filibuster. A lot have just kind of like spoken in circular terms that don't mean much. And so those are the folks that we are saying, call, call your senator. You know, even for me, one thing I will give Joe Manchin, I guess, is he's very clear on where he stands. And I think that uh, Democrats in general just, you know, if you are, you know that nothing can move forward without eliminating the filibuster. So, and you had more than enough time to think about this. This was a conversation during the primary in 2019. If you, like, there's no more, I'm still thinking about it, I have to figure it out. Also, you've worked with Republicans for the past four years, you know, or even especially the Democrats who have worked with Republicans when President Obama was president, you know that they are not going to do anything uh, to, that would look good for a Democratic president. So I, I just, yeah. So, um, yeah, that is part of our campaign to just get to get pressure Democrats to be very clear on where they stand on the filibuster. And we're actually going to... Um, We've actually also included for folks who are on our um, email list, we've sent out ways that they can get involved in places like Georgia and Arizona to push back on the what's happening at the state level because all of this is like integrated um, and, and, you know, just seeing Joe Manchin's resistance, we're going to have to make sure that we're putting pressure everywhere. And then as we get closer to the actual midterms, um, we'll assess the landscape, what laws are in place, and figure out what we need to do to respond. Because whatever happens, we will respond um, and get people motivated and activated to to show up. Yeah, do you think that, 
because I think that some people here call call your senator and they're like, okay. But I do you think that Democratic senators now are probably even more receptive than they were during the Trump years? Because I feel like during the Trump years, they kind of could coast on the fact that he was so bad. Motivated mm-hmm. Democratic voters were going to turn out. Mm-hmm. But now, I don't know, like I want I, I'm going to vote. But if I weren't super motivated, I would I would need some convincing. Do you so do you think calling your senators, your Democratic senators, I guess that includes Joe Manchin, is still really an effective way to be heard? Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing that politicians respond to is getting reelected. Um, and when people call in, that gives them a sense of how people are feeling on the ground. And, you know, I worked in a Senate office for about four years and I spent uh, my first job in the office was answering phone calls. And one thing I always know for a vulnerable senator, right? I mean, she was a Democrat from North Carolina. So you were adding those and listening. I and, and everyone was angry. Democrats were angry. Republicans were angry. Um, but yes, we very much listened to what everyone was saying. I will say the calls were overrepresented by Republicans. People were watching mm-hmm. Fox all day. And I think part of that was a lot of, one, people who had kind of more normal views and not extreme ones. Um, but also Democrats didn't feel the need to make their opinions heard because they either knew Kay was going to vote the way they wanted her to vote or, you know, whatever it may be. And that plays a part. You know, we would get calls and if we got enough of them, so the normal response is, hey, we'll get this to the senator. If we get enough uh, calls, it's like, okay, we need to actually have a statement um, to say to people when they call in. And so then we develop that. Um, and then all of that went to the senator every night. She got to see what people were calling in about, whether or not they supported or opposed it. So it's always effective because even though it's not an actual, it's not a, um, a what is the word for sample? It's not like um, an accurate. A sample size, like an accurate sample yeah, it's size. It's not an accurate sample of the entire state, um, but it has influence. And so that's why it's so important to make sure that, um, you know, especially on the left, people are calling in because people on the right are calling in. You know, they are bitching about everything and letting you know that you work for them and they pay your salary. Um, so it's important to hear from uh, from other folks. And, you know, Joe Manchin, this is the problem with someone who he's figured out how to stay in office with little accountability, it feels like. Um, And that is when it's really important for the folks in the state to start showing up more, making their voices heard because Mm -hmm. politicians, they will listen to anyone who's a voter, whether you voted for them or not, because you have the power to take them out of office. Um, But for folks who just kind of show up and yell and haven't voted, you know, they have less power. So it's really time for like, the people who are engaged in voting, I mean, everyone should participate uh, the way they see fit, but especially voters to not just vote, but make this, uh, make civic engagement something bigger, where you're showing up, you know, letting uh, your elected officials know you vote and that you plan on holding them accountable uh, once the elections come around again. There's been so much since the January 6th insurrection and, um, you know, Biden's amazing win. Um, there's been so many state uh, legislatures that have been pushing together some really messed up voter restrictions and like, um, you know, again, anti-democratic voter laws that, you know, disproportionately affect people of color. Uh, So, 
you know, I want to hear kind of in your words how HR1 directly is going to protect that. And then also um, why, like, how does this all tie into filibuster reform? Like, I'm very smart and I know exactly how it does, right? (laughs) But like, let's say I wasn't very smart and I don't 100% know like, why don't you uh, share in your own? Yeah, words? yeah. Um, so HR one can help eliminate <laughs> all of. Um, so okay, there's all these state legislatures. They're passing these anti-democratic laws, and the reason that they are rushing to do it is because they're trying to get ahead of the midterms and put in um, laws that you know. Uh, there mm-hmm. was some data that came out yesterday or the other day saying that if the laws that Georgia had passed, just recently passed had been in place for the 2020 election, Joe Biden would have lost. Um, because it would have wiped out wow. um, the, the vote margin that he had there. And so all of these laws are getting put on the books. What HR1 would do was a- is actually make all of these laws illegal. So whatever mm. you know, federal law supersedes um, state laws. And so pretty much none of these laws would be able to exist. Um, and it also puts in other things, kind of pro-voter uh, uh, policies, like mm-hmm. early voting um, and things like that. So it would encourage more people to vote. It's very telling that all of these laws, you know, you should just want people to vote, you know, but I think that mm-hmm. Republicans know they have gone too far off the deep end to actually have people be excited, a large number of people be excited about voting for them. And so, you know, now they're trying to figure it out so that they can carve out, um, basically make it very easy for the folks who support them to vote, which I'm not completely convinced that this is not going to hurt you know, the older people who vote for Republicans. Well, they're doing it in Texas and Florida, yeah. right? Like, what are they doing? I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not convinced this is going to go exactly how they want it to. <laughs> but, you know, I do think it will have enough of an impact that we're just going to have to fight so hard to get votes that we should just, that should just be coming in um, by themselves. So, okay, so the filibuster, like, we literally just can't pass this bill if um, uh, with a filibuster in place. So any bill that is not kind of a budget bill or you know money related, like the American Rescue Plan was mostly about getting money into the economy. And so that is a bill that can be passed through reconciliation, which um, is the process that only requires 51 senators um, to support a bill for it to be passed into law. Uh, anything that is not related to money um, so like the For the People Act or gun reform or things like that, uh, they have to get a 60, hit a 60 vote threshold to, to end debate. Okay, that sounds so technical. So basically you have a debate period where they're discussing the bill and to formally end debate, you have to vote and you have to get 60 senators to vote to end debate and move on to a vote. Uh, if you can't end debate, then the bill just kind of languishes and nothing can happen with it. Um, and so typically it gets pulled off of the floor because what are you going to do with um, um, a bill that can't get there? And so that is why there's so much talk of the filibuster now. You know, I guess, what, 2000? Uh, uh, they did it. They got rid of it for judges. And, um, yes. Yeah. They, um, so like, I think 2009 maybe was the last time Democrats uh, had right. 60 votes. Um, and I mean, we barely got the ACA. Yeah. Uh, but that they did parts of that through reconciliation. But yes, and um, yeah, I don't even know the exact year. But first, Harry Reid got rid of the filibuster for um, non Supreme Court judicial nominees. 
And people did say, look, that's going to come bite you in the ass. And it did come bite us in the ass. But the alternative was Barack Obama can't, can't get any of his appointees approved. And then when Republicans took control of the Senate, they, um, well, not when they took control of the Senate, when Donald Trump was elected and would be appointing Supreme Court justices, they got rid of it for Supreme Court justices, which meant Republicans could approve whoever they wanted, um, which we saw happen. And we saw, um, uh, Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah, yeah, we saw like after all of that, I just have to believe, I mean, he would not have made it through the Senate if there was still a filibuster because, I mean, you had some Republicans not support Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and so he definitely wouldn't have been able to garner, garner 60 votes. And now we're at this place, do we eliminate the filibuster for, um, for legislation that is not able to go through reconciliation? And I can understand why people are fearful of that, you know, but at this point, we've already put it on the table. I can guarantee yeah. you when Republicans get back control, yep. they will eliminate it. So, And they will if we exactly. don't pass the fourth. So, exactly. And so, and that's <laughs> part of this is why, you know, why HR1 is so important and why we need to fil eliminate the filibuster. Um, well, this is political. Let me say the pure democracy thing first. Right. <laughs> Voters' votes are not going to count the same. They won't have equal access to the ballot if we don't pass this. But from a political standpoint, as was mentioned earlier, it's literally going to hurt Democrats. I don't see how Kirsten Cinema, Raphael Warnock, like, well, mm -hmm. let's put Kirsten aside. I don't see how Mark Kelly and Raphael Warnock make it out of their um, elections this cycle. We already saw what happened in Georgia in 2018 when they didn't even have these restrictive laws on the bill. Um, in law and Brian Kemp with um, Stacey yeah. Abrams. And so imagine how much worse it's going to be now that they are legally able to suppress voters. So um, all of this is pretty much tied together. You know, we definitely, Democrats have definitely tied the filibuster to HR uh, one because it could be tied to a bunch of other things, but it, it, it goes together because the filibuster in general, just kind of, to me, I'd look at it as the um, kind of similar to the electoral college where you give certain mm -hmm. states and types of people more power in our democracy. Uh, and to me, I think everyone's individual vote should count equally. There's no reason uh, living in California, you know, that we have the same, okay, it's fine mm -hmm. we have the same representation in senators, but you know, we have so many people in California and you have a state like Wyoming who, you know, gets to have two senators. And so now, yeah. you know, I don't think Republicans will ever get to 60 votes um, in the Senate. And so now they're able to just with, you know, 50 senators um, block a lot of things. And on top of that, in these states, you know, without HR1, more bills are going to be passed to make it nearly impossible. Because if Republicans can get to 55 senators, then, you know, mm -hmm. getting Lisa Murkowski to vote for something no longer has that much meaning. And so all of this is tied together because if we don't eliminate the yeah. filibuster, we can't pass HR1. And that means all of these um, voter suppression laws that are being put on the books will permanently, well, I don't, I don't want to say permanently, but it feels like it will permanently um, just kind of take them. It'll be a lot yeah. harder to undo them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see movement on this. I think it's 
tying filibuster reform to there are so many big uh, Senate bills we've been talking about that are so important. But I think you can't argue with the fact that people have a right to vote and for their vote to count. So to get involved, I also love that you guys have this is a huge effort and we're all going to work on it. But if something happens, like you said, I'm glad you guys still have eyes on the state level stuff so that if there's a chance, we still have to be watching that in case this doesn't Mm -hmm. happen in time. But if you want to get involved with this, go to votesaveamerica.com slash for the people to learn more about HR1 or We're mm-hmm. Fucked. Thank you so much for being with us. I can't wait to have yeah, you thank back. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. And I'm Millie Tamaras. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.